American songwriter, my brother-in-law Sean Olves of the Eiffels was able to talk to Tom Higginson of multiple projects, including Plain White Tees, over Zoom video. Tom talks about where he grew up and how he got into music. He talks a lot about the early days of Plain White Tees and all the other amazing things he has going on. His various other projects, including his own record label, Humans Were Here Recordings. You can check out the video of the interview with my brother-in-law, Sean Olbs of the Eiffels and Tom Higginson on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Tom Higginson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have Tom Higginson of the Plain White Tees with us today. Woo! Woo woo! What's up, dude? Also joining us, my bandmate of the Eiffel's Jade here to talk to Tom, since we uh, we have some history with Tom, so we're, we're going to get caught up here. Uh, but Tom, thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, it's good to see you guys, man. This is awesome. Yeah, it looks like you're. Uh, it looks like you 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 got a little island getaway there for those listening. Uh, t- Tom's got some very nice island uh, artwork in the background there. Well, I will say, if you guys could see what I'm looking at, there's windows right in front of me. And it's legit like the worst blizzard we've had in years <laughs> outside. Yeah. So the island, you know, it's good to have the uh, the juxtaposition there. Yeah. You know? Is that a real Banksy? Did Banksy do something like that where it would just uh, palm trees and then his name like spray painted over? You know what? I'd be a, a much richer man if that was a real Banksy. <laughs> it's actually this guy, the most famous artist uh-huh. uh, who you should you guys should follow if you don't. He's unbelievable. He's kind of like a. He's super punk rock artist. Like he's just totally like disrupting the artist, like the art world. But he actually did a series of art where he, his point was that all that people care about is Mm. the artist and the signature. They don't really care about the art. So he made an entire like gallery showing of just painting artist signatures on like a thrift store paintings. And so I was able to pick up the Banksy and also the 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 most famous artist has yeah. himself. So yeah, yeah. super cool. For those who can't see, it's just a picture of an island getaway, and then it says the most famous artist <laughs> on it. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah, fun, looks, fun looks awesome. I, I like that concept. Well, Tom, why don't you take us all the way back before we get into? Because I know uh, you you've been very busy. You got three different projects going on: Plain White Tees, you got Million Miler, you got your other band TLB, and you have recent releases for all three. Um, so before we get into that, why don't you take us back and just tell us how you got into music? For sure. Um, well, okay. So the very first song I ever wrote was in, I was in eighth grade and, um, you know, in eighth grade, you don't really know, of course, what the hell you're doing. We still really don't know what we're doing. Right. But, um, back then it was like, you know, you kind of wrote a song, like you just kind of wrote words. Right. And it was like, oh, that kind of rhymes. That's cool. That sounds good. And um, me and my buddy, Tom Sukup, another Tom, uh, we formed this little group called TNT for Tom and Tom. And uh, (laughs) so we did this song at like the little like junior high talent show. And people liked it so much that they asked us to do it again at the eighth grade dance. So I think that's where I got the bug. It was like, ooh, wait a minute. Like people like, you know, it was like that little bit of... um, of um, I don't know, like acceptance or whatever it was, uh, it, it did it for me. And then for my freshman year of high school, the next year, I actually got a drum set for Christmas. I asked for a drum set. And so my first instrument is really drums. Um, and within about a year, I was just kind of, I would like just 
jam like i'd come home from school and i'd jam along to like foo fighters nirvana weezer green day albums and um within about a year i could kind of kind of play them like i could kind of get through songs in and out you know uh like i was i was getting pretty decent and so i was like you know what this is cool but like it'd be kind of cool to be like out in front of the stage you know <laughs> like not that we were playing shows or doing anything but i was just like i was just obsessed with music always and so it was like cool i kind of learned the drum thing like let's try guitar you know and yeah. so then yeah I, I just started playing guitar i had like the some like you know mexican made fender strat that was like my buddies that he left over at my house or something you know it was like not a great guitar but it was just enough for me to like mess with chords and really you know, after about four months, finally be able to hold my fingers down for a bar chord, you know? Uh, yeah. And then um, once, once I could like play a chord or two, then it just kind of like, I, I just like, uh, I never stopped, you know, I just ran with it, started writing songs on guitar and, and because I could play drums, I got like a four track. So I started recording everything by myself. Like I'd like lay down a drum beat to a song and then I'd like, play the guitar i'd sing over it and so I, I was making these little demos passing them out to my friends like my junior and senior years of high school um and then so that's kind of just how plain white tea started like me and my buddies would go home after school and we would like jam to like we would cover like weezer and green day and stuff and um and like i said i was kind of writing making these little demos so it was just kind of like the the best of our little friend group kind of just like branched off and started playing white tees with me. Nice. So this goes all the way back to high school then, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally dude, it's weird. It's like, I've never really like, I feel like I'm the same dude as I was like at 15 years old, you know, it was like, because that's kind of when I just, I got the, the bug, you know, and I started writing and started learning, learning um, and just dedicating myself to music, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of been a, just a steady thing ever since. Yeah, I think it's 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 kind of a privilege when I feel like you get uh, success as at an early age. Uh, I, I forgot who said this quote, but I think they were talking about Tommy Lee, which is funny. But they were saying, you know, whatever age you get famous at or or have success at you freeze at that age as far as maturity level goes. But huh, so, not mean, to say that you're immature, but you get to feel like you're young for, uh, you know, the, the rest of your life because you never had to kind of, uh, you know, get that nine to five because plain RTs started picking up steam right away. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Uh, that's, a, that's a cool way of looking at it, you know. When you think of, like, Johnny Depp, you don't think of, like, old, you know, Johnny Depp right now. You think of, like, Edward Scissorhands, cool Johnny Depp, you know? For sure, for sure. So that's an interesting <laughs> interesting outlook, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and I feel like he probably... You know, I think he's still young at heart also. You know, he's still playing, sure. in, playing in bands. He's still dressing the same, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Hey, Tom, speaking speaking of, uh, of high school, we actually uh, have uh, history before our last show together. Okay. So, let's check this out. So I, I've always wanted to know this. Is it possible that there is a demo version of Stop out there in the world before, like, the main record came out? Um, okay. So possibly, I know there was definitely demos of, I'm trying to think, you know, that's a little bit of a blur, even though I'm still that same age, it's a lot has uh, faded since then. But, uh, 
No, um, I, I, I remember we definitely had like different versions of Fireworks and Your Fault, which were two songs off the Stop album. Um, damn it, I don't know. I know we also did, we, we gave away like samplers of like two songs, I think, that Stop was on. So maybe that's what you're thinking of. I don't know. I, I, what, 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 what are you getting to? I want to, I'm, I can't wait. So, you know, back in our day of, uh, of, of mixtapes and right, I used to always put um, a lonely September and shine with those songs. You can tell I was just a, you know, little, you know, I was, I liked that kind of that more of a yeah. vibe. You know? Hell yeah. Uh, anyways, lonely September and shine were on like every single one of my CDs, man. I just listened to them all the time. And my sister and I, when I was in like, you know, it must've been maybe a, Fresh, uh, maybe like a sophomore in high school, you toured to Orange County and you played at the, the Irvine Spectrum, dude. And my yes. sister and were there and we kind of, you know, talked or whatever vaguely. But uh, yeah, that's uh, dude, dude that is remember. awesome. It's so funny. You're going to think I'm like, you know, bullshitting you. But I remember the Irvine Spectrum show like yeah. that was like a awesome. that was a really cool moment for us because that was kind of yeah, it was I think right about in between stop or it was right it was definitely in the stop era i think we were getting ready to put out all that we needed maybe but i remember that that was like a moment where it was like um i don't know we just felt momentum kind of happening tim our guitar player had just joined the band right before that show that might have even been his first gig with us um so yeah that was like a, a weirdly memorable show for me awesome. so funny that you bring that up yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah, Jade, when we when we played the show with you guys uh, a year or two ago, uh, a couple of years now, I guess it was, uh, I remember Jay telling me, he's like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm an OG fan. I, I go way back to the <laughs> to the old oh, stuff yeah. before pre-Delilah stuff. Yeah, pre-Delilah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, you know, you get your friends together, you start you start playing. <clears throat> how, how do you go from, uh, you know, a high school band to to, uh, you know, playing something? some shows that are a little bit, you know, bigger, like the one that Jade saw you at. Um, tell us a little bit about that process. For sure. So, yeah, um, I mean, there was, a, there was a, a while, a few years of just building it up around here in Chicago, you know. <clears throat> um, like, like I said, starting in high school, our first, you know, probably six months of shows were just literally like the, you know, the VFW hall in our suburb, and, you know, church basement show with some other friends band that, you know, and it, it literally it's like begging people at school on Friday, like, oh, what are you guys doing tonight? You got to come see us. You know, it's only five bucks, whatever, you know. And um, and of course, our parents are right there in the crowd. You know, it's like anybody that you can get. Um, but, you know, we were just it, there was a there was a really strong scene happening at that moment in Chicago. Um, and we were able to make some friends pretty quickly with some bands this is going to sound so stupid, but like, like literally like within about five or six suburbs of where I'm, where I was living, um, there was kind of like little local bands from like every different high school had, you know, like a cool little scene going. And so we would like, we'd go to a show at the, like the suburb, you know, 20 minutes down the road, we'd go see some local bands play and be like, oh my God, that band was awesome. And they brought like 50 kids, holy shit, you know? So then we would talk to them, make friends with them. They'd come see us play. And then we'd start doing like the next time they played in their little hometown, they'd have us open for them. And then we'd do a show out, you know, 20 minutes over here and we'd have them on. 
And so we really just built this like community um, and the fan bases then all just kind of like it grew and latched on, you know, everybody's fan base just kind of collided. And then we ended up being able to play at venues uh, like the Fireside Bowl and the Metro in Chicago, which are two like historic venues. Um, you know, within about a year of being a band, we were playing shows out there. And within about two years of being a band, we were like selling out places like that. Wow. Um, but I really think it was because of this, you know, the work we did of just networking and, and building this like the scene. Yeah, it's it's so smart to, to kind of capitalize. I feel like the scene uh, was so defined too. You know what I mean? Like, uh, especially during the time when you guys were, were starting to come up, um, and and maybe it still is like that uh, in certain parts of the country. But uh, you know that 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 pop punk thing that was happening during that time, I feel like it was it was so defined that if you you know if someone liked some one band, that it, it was so likely that you know they would at least be inclined to see you open or or see you or see them open for you. Totally. Yeah, that was a weird moment because it was like, we, I mean, I guess we're kind of lucky that that was the moment because it was just, yeah, it was all very organic. Um, and that was just where music was at the time, you know, with Fall Out Boy, My Chemical Romance, uh, stuff like that, Panic at the Disco coming up. And um, yeah, we just luckily, those were like kind of our, our the, the extended scene that I was kind of talking about, you know, like Fall Out Boy is from Chicago. Our drummer, Damar, was actually great friends with them. His old band would play with them all the time. So we would, we actually toured one of our first tours, probably around that same time as the Irvine Spectrum show was actually with Fall Out Boy and Yellow Card. And mm. I mean, we were playing at venues with, you know, 112 kids there or something and they, and they were packed, you know, like the yeah. tiny, tiny little places wow. um, back then. But yeah, what a, what a great time. Uh, we got really lucky with the timing of everything for sure. Speaking of uh, of yellow card, because you mentioned them, uh, quick digression. Uh, did you you did a video recently with Matt Cutchell for his emo uh, emo's not dead kind of uh, video series on Instagram, right? I did. I feel like I was one of the first ones to do to go on there with him. That was kind of cool. We did Delilah, yeah. Right, right, yeah, because I, I, he just did one with Yellow Card, and yeah, and his, his, his thing is blowing up. I've, I've been a longtime fan of his for even before his emo's not dead stuff, just all the way from Vine days. But I uh, loved seeing you doing that; it was so, so awesome. How was that? And, and did you get a, a cool reception from doing, you know, kind of doing like side things like that? You know, I just, I'm, I'm like a, 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 like a movie nerd. Like I love movies, so like filming, like like music video days are like my favorite days because it's like, you kind of get to be like, I don't know, it's just that, that magic of like, you know, being on a set or be just filming, making something out of nothing. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of fun to do little things like that. Not that that was a movie, but it was like this fun, like day of just filming something, you know, went to his house. Uh, I had never met him in person before. So just to kind of chill with them, hang out with him and, and, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just super fun. I mean, the whole thing took all of three hours or something, you know, in and out kind of. But right. uh, yeah, super, super fun. I don't know if, uh, you know, it's hard with that, with Delilah in general to really to rate how like, oh, did that video like right, move right. the meter at all? It's like, sure. man, that song just has such a life of its own. I have no idea how to quantify it you know yeah because i was gonna say too you know been watching tiktok uh some tiktoks lately and i feel like delilah's kind of like 
kind of re it's getting back up even in the TikTok realm, right? And you guys are on yeah. TikTok now. So tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Have you seen the move? I, I know you just said it, it's hard to tell if something's making the needle move. But if anything would, I feel like the viralness of TikTok, uh, you might notice something. For sure. I mean, if anything, it's just like, you know, the song, like ever since we put the thing out, it is just never, never went away, I guess. You know, it's like, and with the, from memes to then, yeah, now TikTok, it's like, I don't know, wherever, it just ha keeps finding these new lives. And um, yeah, I don't know, how, again, I, I wish I could like quantify it or wish I could be like, okay, why? Like, what did I do differently with that song? You know, it's like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know why that one connects. I know it's, you know, I'm proud of it and everything, but um, but yeah, it's really hard to say. I'm just stoked that it, that it, that it does have all this life, you know, and that people do connect with it and it's become, you know, like it's become part of people's like lives, which is weird. You know, it's weird to think that some like three and a half minute song I wrote has just made that much of an impact. And that like, you could pretty much ask, you know, I'd say 90% of like people on the planet, like, Oh yeah. Do you know that song? Hater Delilah. And they'll be like, yeah, you know, that's weird. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an epic, epic feat that, that you achieved there. And, and it's just a great song. You know, I remember, I, I remember the first time uh, hearing it, I was just like, that's, a, it's, it, it sounded like the scene you were coming from, but then it also sounded like just a good acoustic song. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's part of it. And uh, what, we were, go ahead, Jay. I think it's cool that like, even if you haven't heard the song in 10 years, if someone just like says like, the, the name you could just start singing the song you know just like that <laughs> hook you know it's so good it's like everything you want in a song you know yeah it's like ingrained in your head no matter no matter what <laughs> we were just taking a look at the uh the album um that that delilah's on and and noticing i, I think it was was it the last track yeah yeah so did you feel was that because you know hey this is a slower one this is or was it an afterthought was it uh did you because usually you think you got your your single you might put it in the front you know what i mean was, tell us a little for bit sure. about the rationale for putting it last yeah so okay two two things um i'd say with that is one we did not at all think it was a single it was just like a slow acoustic song um so that's why it wasn't anywhere near the beginning of the album and also, um, you know, a lot of bands that we were loving at the time, like like bands that I would, I kind of, you know, talked about before, like Weezer, Green Day, um, you know, even Pearl Jam and, um, you know, indie bands like uh, the Lemonheads and Fountains of Wayne and the Smoking Popes and stuff. They would all, they were all kind of more rock, rock bands like we are. Uh, but then they would all kind of do kind of these mellow songs and they'd always be, they're like the last, like Alkaline Trio would do a, you know, punk rock album and then they'd end the album with like a little acoustic song, you know? Right, right. So it, that was just like, it seemed like, yeah, obviously, okay, well, Delilah will be last because it's the, you know, it's the song that feels the most like it's just should like the period on the end of the album kind of. You know? Right, right. Um, so yeah, so it wasn't like too much crazy thought put into it. It just seemed where it seemed like it was the best place for it. Is there Have a you story behind the song? Yeah. What's that? Is there like a secret story behind the song that nobody knows? Um, well, there's no, no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say there is a story behind the song. 
that I have told a million times, but <laughs> yeah, <I figured. laughs> I'll give you the quick version. I mean, it really is about a girl named Delilah. And um, yeah, it would have been between, um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, st again, right before, it, uh, that song was probably written when you saw us at the Airman Spectrum. Yeah, because All That We Needed would have been coming out soon after that. Um, so yeah, it was like we were, we were, uh, we were touring the stop album and we were home for the holidays. It was right around Christmas. Um, and, or I guess it would have been in January. Yeah. So we were probably home. Cause at that time, dude, we were, we were touring like 250 to 300 days a year. Like we were gone from wow. home. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, but we always made sure we'd get home for Christmas and stuff, you know? So it was, uh, probably, yeah, the beginning of January, because I remember that because, um, we were going to see a friend, me and a friend, my friend, Kim, we're going to see our friends play, uh, our friends, lucky boys, confusion play at the house of blues in Chicago. And when I was picking up Kim, she was like, Hey, my friend Delilah is going back to school tomorrow. All of our other friends have already kind of gone back to school. So she's got nothing to do. Can we pick her up and bring her to the show? And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I'd never met her. I didn't know anything about her. Um, so we pick up this girl and it was like, oh my God, this girl's freaking <laughs> gorgeous. What the hell? Um, and so, and she had a boyfriend and stuff. So I wasn't like, it was just like a, a very just night of innocently hanging and just like, like, wow, this chick is so cool, man. And she's so cute and whatever. And so at the end of it, when we dropped her back off after the show, I gave her a stop CD, a stop album. And I joked around with her like, hey, you know, I got a song about you, like just being stupid, you know, and she's like, oh, okay, and she left, whatever. But then she, uh, so she was going to school in New York, obviously, so she went back to school and uh, she really liked the Stop album. So she like, we kind of kept in touch a little bit online and um, she started asking me like, yo, where's my song? Where's that song you wrote, you know, when, <laughs> and so I was like, oh shit. Okay. So then put on the spot, so, huh? So basically, yeah. So within like, you know, of the next month or two of talking with her, I was like, okay, shit, I better write this song. And uh, so that just happens to be the song I wrote. Wow. I guess yeah. that, that might be a secret ingredient there, you know, <laughs> some pressure from a gorgeous woman to, to write a yeah, song. No kidding. No kidding. That's crazy <laughs> that for her too, to like, just like be living her life now with just this like epic song that everyone knows is about her. Right. Totally. Yeah. She yeah. was going through it at, at the time. Um, she was like, yeah, she was like, I don't know whether to like be embarrassed about it or be like, it's my song. Yeah. You know, I would embrace yeah, that. I think, I, think I saw an article like a few years back where it was like, Delilah's a real person and this is what mm -hmm. she thinks about the song or something like that. So one last question about Delilah and then I, let's let's get back to uh, to your journey. But I, uh, I, I think recently either on YouTube or TikTok, I saw a video of someone who wrote uh, a response to Delilah as if they were Delilah. Have you seen that song? Did you, did you comment on that at all? Or Yeah. You know what? There's, that was, almost, that was kind of a trend for, for a minute. There was like a bunch of those that came out like right mm. around that same time. Um, some of them definitely better, better than others, but I mean, just in general, I thought that was such a cool, cool idea. You know, I think one of the girls actually had put up the song on Spotify as well. Um, mm. because I had to, I think I had to like approve it or something or, you know, allow, allow her to, to do that. Right. And, um, but it was just so cool. And I mean, again, that just goes to the, 
like another life, another weird thing that happened with the life of that song. You know, it's yeah. like, I would have never thought that like people would write their own version. I mean, there was parodies all the time, of course, you know, right. Hey There Vagina being one of my favorites. You got to check that out. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, this was like a new level. This was like taking it to like, this is not a parody. This is like, uh, like a yeah like a sequel almost you yeah know? exactly super cool super cool yeah, yeah. I, I was just telling jade i've seen some some cool kind of response uh videos to to popular songs uh like it was like jesse's girl it was a, a chick uh did a video as if she was jesse's girl and she's like you know jesse's friends looking at me weird he's kind of creepy <laughs> it's uh <laughs> so i've se seen a lot of creative uh creative ones pretty funny ones um so let's go back in, uh so you so you st you're cultivating this this grassroots fan base by combining fan bases with other bands and you're doing it very successfully within a year you're, you're selling out shows um tell us a little bit about where things went after that well so then we uh we made that stop album uh on our own with um like literally in our buddy's basement in the suburbs here uh, the kid was 16 years old at the time recorded who recorded stop. And, um, and we, our, our manager at the time was friends with uh, a couple like really small independent labels. And he was able to get us signed by fearless records, which fearless at this point is a pretty, pretty one of the bigger indies I'd say, but back then they were really small and kind of just starting up. Um, so it was awesome that we were like, okay, we're signed, but like, they weren't really able to do too much for us. It was still like up to us to just get, get out there and, and, you know, sell records or, or, you know, build up a fan base. So once we were signed and this would have been in like, I want to say 2001, maybe 2001, 2002, probably 2002. Um, we, we were, that's when we like hit the road. We got a booking agent and it was like, okay, book us and let's go. And so we like lived in our van for, we toured on that album for almost three years. Um, and then we made, we were able to build that kind of like, I mean, not as crazy as it was in Chicago, but like, you know, we were able to bring in a hundred kids everywhere we went around the country after touring for like, you know, two and a half years, just doing it. Um, and so then we released our next album, which was all that we needed, which is the one that had Delilah for the first time. Um, and, um, fearless had kind of grown as we were growing fearless was kind of growing a little bit as well. So they had, when it was time to put out all that we needed, they had a little bit more money to like do a music video and to like get some, like, you know, there was like a radio or I'm sorry, a television station called Fuse. I don't think that exists anymore, but it was like almost like an MTV. I remember that. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Okay. Station. So, Great. Yeah, it was, Fuse was awesome. Yeah, because MTV had kind of stopped playing videos yeah. at that time or like was barely. And so Fuse was exactly. like, oh, okay, we'll play it. We'll do videos, whatever. So, yeah, we were able to get some like some play, you know, yeah. some some uh, some airtime on Fuse. And and yeah, so it was on the All That We Needed album where we really like, you know, we were just, tr you know, building slowly, slowly. And on that album, it was like, okay, it started to kind of turn and, uh, you know, speed up the process a little bit. And then we released, uh, Hey There Delilah on that, on that album, about halfway through that album cycle. 
And, um, you know, that video and the song kind of like went viral before that was even a thing, you know, like people, it was on MySpace, I remember, and people would like use it as their MySpace song, their profile song. Uh, and it just really spread. I remember yeah. we went to, we went to tour uh -huh. the UK for the first time. And um, we opened for a band called Hello Goodbye in the UK. And we had never been there before. Fearless didn't even yeah, have distribution. Fearless was not, our, our records were not on sale over there at all. So we went there and every night when we played Hey There Delilah, the whole crowd sang along. And it was like, how the hell do they even know this song? Because wow. it was, you know, it wasn't even available to buy over there. It was just like from MySpace. Power of the internet, MySpace. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so yeah. then we ended up, um, because we That's were, Delilah kind of blew up for us on an indie level. We sold about 80,000 records on Fearless, which was like a huge success for them. Um, and then we got uh, picked up by a major label, Hollywood Records, um, for our next album. And that was, we had a single, the first single off of that album, the album was called Every Second Counts. And the first single we put out was called Hate. And that did, uh, we were able to get on uh, alternative radio. We charted it like, you know, number 12 or something on alternative radio, which again was a huge deal for us. It was like our first song ever on the radio. And like, that, that was cool going in and, you know, kind of doing yeah. the, you know, the, 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 the radio morning radio shows and just all kinds of stuff. And then um, they actually, so fun story, the, we were on a warp tour at the time when the song was blowing up. And, um, and this is the song hate, not Delilah yet, you know, but Delilah had already kind of had this underground blow up for us. Right. So the president of the label comes and he's all proud because we're on the radio right now. And he's, you know, comes to see his, us play and we play hate the crowds loving it, you know, because it's on the radio and it was this big moment. He's sitting there like all proud. And then we play hey there Delilah after that. And the crowd goes even crazier and is singing along. And he looks at our A&R guy and he says, what is that? What song is, what is this? What's, you know, because <laughs> uh -huh. it wasn't on that album. It was, uh -huh. you know, on our last album. Right. Um, and our A&R guy luckily was able to secure the rights to that song um, so that we could put it out on the major, on Hollywood. Mm. And so they stripped it onto the album that was already out. Every second counts. Um, also as the last song, they just stuck it at the end. There you go. <laughs> And, um, and then, yeah, they, they put, uh, you know, went to radio with, with Hey There Delilah. And of course the rest is history. Yeah. Ah, so there was kind of like a double release of Hey There Delilah. It was once, once on the indie and then the major. And so I, I guess with the major, then you finally, you know, could get to the UK and all that other stuff as far as official distribution goes. Totally. Yeah. It was funny though, because it's like the exact same song, the exact same <laughs> recording, it just kind of goes to show you like the difference that something like that can make. Like on an indie label, we, they were able to sell 80,000 and with a major label, you know, we're up over whatever, 5 million or something, of course, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It's like the same exact recording. It is. Yeah. From, wow. from, hey, let's throw them back in. We'll have them redo it, you know, spruce it up a little bit. Yeah. Nope. Didn't want to ruin it. that magic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the I've heard a few stories like that, and it, it really was kind of like a light bulb moment for me when I thought about it more, which is really if your song hasn't blown up uh, to the extent that you think it could or should, 
it's never really too late to just promote that song with the internet. You know, you could you could re-release any song that you recorded eight years ago and just start promoting it as if it's new. And uh, and some artists have have done that and, and and blown up from songs that they recorded like five years ago or something like that recently. Absolutely. Yeah. You know that song, um, uh, Big Girls Don't Cry by Fergie? Yeah. Um, so that song was actually written before she was in the Black Eyed Peas. Mm. And because she was going to make some record and it was written and then she got the job in the Black Eyed Peas, got that gig. And 10 years later, decided to make a solo album and was like, oh, wait, that, that one song, I really like that one. And so 10 years later, that song actually came out and was a big hit for her. Wow, that's crazy. So yeah, it's I, like you never know the yeah, that's your, that's exactly what you're saying. It's like the life of a song, like there's no rules, you know. It's like if it's yeah. good enough, you know, you you never know when that can connect or you know, or it's stupidest thing, maybe it gets picked up um, you know, not to, not to segue into like the other stuff that we were going to talk about some of my the, the new things I've been doing. Yeah. But it's like I, I I'd like to think that like I'm doing some really great things like with this these, you know, my side projects and stuff. And even though they're not necessarily catching on super fast, like once you put that music out there, it's always there. So it's like, you know, 10 years down the line somebody's going to discover some of this music and maybe it gets used in, in a movie or in a commercial or in, you know, just something where I know that if you, and I've always believed this, if you make something that's good enough, like that can connect and is, is like, you know, honest and, and, and real, then I think that it's like, it's going to find that audience. It might take 10 years. It might, you know, like, I don't know, it might take, I don't know, 20 years. I don't want to say yeah. 20 years, but you yeah, know what I mean? No. It's like, Definitely. like if, if you all, all you have control over is like, okay, I'm going to make this thing awesome, you know, and yeah. I'm going to put my heart into it and I'm going to make sure I do it as good as I can. And then the rest is kind of, you know, kind of out of your hands to some extent. Totally. I, I think, uh, I think Lizzo, your, your example about Fergie is, is the perfect example. Cause that's a decade old song that became a hit. Uh, but I think Lizzo, who's, who's a, you know, very contemporary, uh, huge artist right now. I think, uh, one of her first singles that she dropped, it might've been juice. It might've been a different one was a few years old and they just decided to re-release it with some of her popularity. And, uh, and of course it, it was a hit again too. And, Nice, or, uh, yeah. or uh, Bohemian Rhapsody charted again after Wayne's yeah. World. I mean, not that not that Queen wasn't already huge, but just shows you the uh, the effect. Uh, the Eiffels, uh, our first EP had a song called More, and it just you know it did okay on Spotify, and then out of the blue, Netflix used it for a song called uh, or for a movie called The Kissing Booth too a few months ago, and then suddenly hundreds awesome. of thousands of streams everywhere and uh yeah. and new fans everywhere so yeah i mean you never know like you said years later but let's let's talk about some of your your projects because i mean you're staying busy you got plain white tees and then you have another band called tlb and then you have another project a solo project called million miler so why don't you tell us about tlb first you're playing you're back to playing drums taking it back to your uh your your childhood <laughs> and and playing yeah. drums on that tell us about tlb a little bit yeah, so TLB basically is like, okay, so you guys you guys have seen the, you've kind of been a part of the growth of the T's, right? We started out with that Stop album as a little bit more of like a punk rock band, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like we said, it kind of fit into that kind of pop punk emo scene, you know? 
And I think we've kind of like, you know, I mean, we still have elements of that, but we've kind of, you know, grown into whatever sound Play My Tease is right now. You know, obviously we're a little bit more known for the acoustic, kind of the more mellow, you know, romantic love songs, right? So TLB is basically like if you went back to like the Play My Tease first album and like turned up the volume, you know, it's like pop punk. It's like the Ramones meets Green Day meets screeching weasel uh meets the smoking popes it's like just super fun punk rock um and it's they're all breakup songs our 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 singer i'm actually like you said i'm the drummer so that's also super fun to just kind of go back to my you know my roots my first instrument um but i still write all the songs with our singer and uh the, the singer was actually in another chicago band who was do who's kind of starting to blow up called the scissors and um, he was in the band with his girlfriend and it was a bunch of other buddies from high school, like that we, we all went to high school together. And um, so what happened was as this band was kind of, kind of starting to blow up around Chicago, the fricking his girlfriend left him for their manager. Oh, wow. It was like the crazy, like the shit that happens in movies. You yeah, know, like, I was about to say, that sounds like a Motley Crue scene. <laughs> I think there is a scene in the Motley Crue movie, something like that, or it might have been reversed. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it, it was wild, dude. And we're all like sitting there like shocked. Like everybody was like, oh my God, dude, felt so bad because he's like the nicest dude too. Um, so he basically um, sat in his room and wrote a bunch of like punk rock breakup songs and he came to me and asked me, cause I've got like a little studio set up at my house. And so he came to me and he's like, Hey dude, like I wrote a bunch of songs. Like it'd be fun to like jam with you and like maybe record some stuff just as like almost like a therapy, you know? And um, yeah. so he played me these demos of these songs he was writing and they were super fun and fucking awesome. You know? So I was like, dude, hell yeah. So we just started jamming them. We recorded a couple and then I was like, dude, oh, wouldn't it be funny? We should do a song like this. And I would like riff on something. I'd write a little chorus and he'd be like, oh, that's awesome. And then we'd write that. And all of a sudden we got a new song. And it was like, so just kind of like, like it started out as just recording some songs for like therapy for my buddy. And it turned out being just so fun and so like good. Like the songs were actually coming out really good that we're like, dude, we need to like play these these songs you know yeah. so we ended up forming a band um and just we we've we've played because of the tease success luckily we've been able to get on some crazy shows um just like kind of calling in buddies of, of mine you know and other bands and stuff like um the band the matches who are from the bay area you know they're they came they did like a reunion show at the fillmore in san francisco beautiful legendary venue yeah. and tlb got to go uh, open for them so we played for a sold out crowd in san francisco you know wow. and Incredible. we played um at the 9 30 club in in washington dc which is one of my favorite venues That's, in the country uh, Dave Grohl's venue exactly yeah exactly yeah I, legendary dude, I love that venue i've been there i saw um portugal the man at that at that venue oh, it was incredible dude yeah, that wow. venue is really special yeah. for sure so yeah we've, we've been able to do oh, we toured the uk with medina lake buddies of ours from chicago here um, so yeah, we've just been able to have a lot of opportunities with TLB and, um, it all culminated with, uh, the, the, uh, on Halloween, we released our latest album, uh, called blood and sand. Um, so yeah, it was like the, the pandemic happened. We were, I was working a lot with other art, other artists on my label, on my roster. 
And then of course, March last year, everything just came to a screeching halt, you know? So everybody's kind of quarantined, not seeing anybody. And then it was July when we started like, okay, like, let's, let's make, um, like, let's, let's finish, let's do, let's, let's make a TLB record. We already had a few songs out, um, and a few songs written. So it was like, okay, like, I think we can do this safely. Um, you know, our producer would like sit in the fricking in the, you know, the booth one person at a time in the Uh, live room wearing mask, you know, like mask up, like, let's just do it safe. Sure. And, uh, and we did it and we, we were able to put out, release a, an album on Halloween. Uh, and it felt like a huge accomplishment, not only because like, okay, we made this kick-ass album, but just because of the circumstances and in, you know, in what 2020 was and just the pandemic and quarantining and just doing everything really safe. And like, it was just, it felt like, like, because of that, it was, I was so much more proud of it than I would have been normally, you know, it was a really yeah. cool moment. Um, yeah, it seems like it would be the perfect time to do something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, because it's, it, you know, plain YTs are probably uh, grounded, you know, quote unquote, uh, for uh, for the time being, as far as touring goes. And and so, hey, let's let's get back to my roots a little bit. Let's play some. And it's funny you mentioned that it, it, it sounds like a little bit like early plain YTs because Jade and I were just bumping some of the tunes before you hopped on here. And, and he says it sounds it reminds me of a little bit of the music from Stop, which is. Yeah. Yeah. The first stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun, dude. It's like, it's just kind of cool to like, and again, like because of the success Plain White Tees has had, um, like Plain White Tees has become a little bit more, you know, from starting out as a kid in high school, just writing songs, having fun to now it's like, I've got so many people, you know, relying on the tees as like their, their, income and their job you know their careers so it's like there's a little bit more pressure in the t's of course because right. we gotta you know make money and whatever um so yeah doing stuff like tlb and million miler it's like you can you can kind of wipe all that off of the table and it's just purely fun and purely like passion project again which is really cool right and, and the t's are they cool with were they cool with it or are they like, oh, those should be our songs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, luckily, luckily, both projects are are pretty different from Plain White Tees, so it's kind of easy to compart compartmentalize, right? Like, like, cool. This is like way too punk or too like. There's too many f bombs for the Tees. That's a uh-huh. TLB song. Right. This one is so '80s feeling. That's that's Million Miler, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's liberating, I, I bet, you know, to, to have, you know, a different outlet for uh, for some of those to, to scratch different itches. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I'm just a guy like, you know, music is everything to me. So to be able to like have a few different outlets for things. Um, yeah, it just it feels really, really good. It's like the ultimate like expression, you know. So sure, definitely. It, it's it's easy to kind of fall, feel like you're like in a box with some stuff, especially once you have the success, you know, then it's like, okay, can't really do too much outside of this, you know, because you exactly. want to stay, stay loyal to your fans and, you know, you've kind of figured out this sound or this niche. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of fun to just, to not have to worry about that and just make some cool music. Well, and you do see like um, a lot of bands like later on end up doing that. They have that one record that no one wants to like, like believe exists, you know, because everyone's like pissed off. Like, why? Did, what? What is this? You know, uh, which is cool to have that. You know, 
is and TLB is that the name like you guys' first names or something? Is that how you got the name? You know, it honestly, uh, it started out the name. We named it after uh, the girl that who left my buddy. So the original name of the band was That Lying Bitch. Ah. So <laughs> then it was like it was like all the Me Too stuff happened, and we're like, well, wait, we don't want people to think that we like hate women or something. Right. Like, right. You know what I mean, it was like yeah. wrong. Maybe timing. we should tone that down a little bit. And everybody <laughs> called us TLB anyway, like uh -huh. it was just like a good acronym for it or whatever. Right. Um. So it just became TLB. And so now it's kind of fun because even though it was that lying bitch, now it's like we can kind of have fun with it. And it's like, you know, we're like the tender loving boys. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> or, you know, one of our, our, our buddies like Tyrio loves beer or, you know, it's like we can kind of say anything we want. So right. it can always the name can always, uh, you know, just kind of change and blow with the wind a little bit. Right. Well, tell us a little bit uh, about Million Miler. That's your solo project. And that's kind of like an indie pop uh, 80s inspired uh, project. And, you know, we, we love us some good 80s inspired synthy music. So, so tell us about that. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, don't we all? Yeah. You know? um, yeah. So I think that there's uh, so I grew up, you know, I was kind of an 80s kid. I had like, you know, I, re I remember Goonies, like Goonies Back to the Future. Those were like movies when I was a kid that like blew my mind, you know? So I've always kind of had that Michael Jackson and, you know, Bruce Springsteen and, you know, just all of that stuff, Whitney Houston, right? And yeah. it's like all of that, all of these great things in the, that happened in the 80s just kind of never went away. You know, they're still as good as they were back then to this day. Um, so, yeah, I've just and then I think what it was was just with Stranger Things coming out. What was it? Six years ago or whatever. Yeah. Like that really was like a shot in the arm of like that 80s nostalgia and like remembering all of that, like kind of for myself and I'm sure the rest of the world because everybody loves that show. But of just like, yeah, man, like kind of going back, throwing on some of those old records or whatever and, and remembering just how good it was. And um, so I was just basically uh, inspired to to um yeah make some 80s 80s inspired music you know it definitely sounds modern but it's you know it's pretty synth heavy and it's pretty um you know pretty dance danceable stuff um so yeah it was just kind of my my passion like for that the 80s music and also like the movies like john ferris bueller's day off you know it's my favorite movie of all time maybe dude, possibly it's so so good man <laughs> yeah. so good yeah. And then you throw in, like I said, the Goonies and Back to the Future and like, man, it's like it, I just I, I wanted to, um, yeah, to just make something that tapped into those vibes. And uh, and again, like I said, with the T's, like the T's are one thing and the T's are awesome. And I'm, I'm actually writing right now a new new T's record, um, which is super fun. But the Myler thing is kind of like, yeah, it's like a little bit more of a passion project. And I, I've never put out in this whole time is with the, with play my tees. I've never put out anything as a solo project. You know, I've done TLB with, you know, a side project with other, other buddies. Uh, I've produced and written with a lot of other artists and stuff. Um, but I've never actually put music out on my own as like a solo thing aside from the tees. So it's kind of, again, just kind of a fun, no pressure, um, kind of like, I don't know, like a liberating, like, dude, fuck yeah, I can do, like, who cares? You know, it's like, who cares if it sells 10 or 10,000? It's like, just 
having fun with it. And, and I, I really think that people, if they did check it out, I mean, it's, I think it's really good. Of course I'm biased, but I feel like it's, it's very personal, even though it is kind of, it's doused in that eighties vibe. I think it's still very relevant and very personal and very honest. Um, so I kind of feel like it has all those elements that I guess I'm known for as a, as a songwriter, uh, just with like a slightly more, you know, a different, a different jacket on or something, you know? Right, right. Just different instrumentation around the same soul. Yeah, there you go. Perfect way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tom, you're, you're a busy dude. You're a busy, motivated guy, it sounds like, because you also have your own record label. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I needed a way to put out all these projects, you know, so I just decided to start a label. I've got a couple other, like I said, I've been, I've been working with writing and producing other artists for years. Um, and it's always gets frustrating because it's like, you can write a great song and then the artist like, Oh, the label didn't like it. Or the artist puts out a record and it just kind of flops or doesn't get, you know, it, it, it's so much that's out of your control. And as a songwriter, it's like, man, it's like when I write something that I'm super excited about, I just want the freaking world to hear. You know, I want to get it out there. I want it. I want to, you know, give it to the world. Um, so I just kind of figured like rather than leaving that up to chance or other people or labels, it's like, why don't I just start my own label? So then these artists that I'm working with all the time, if they're not signed, I can just sign them and put their stuff out. So it's like. So for all the, all the artists on the label, um, I do a lot of the songwriting and producing as well. And then, you know, I'm a part of, like I said, I, I love the, my, the music videos and being a part of that stuff. So like producing the music videos and just all that, every aspect of the creative process, I get to be a part of, um, which is just super fun for me. Um, and yeah, it's like a lot of just, just developing this you know, kind of discovering some awesome talent, helping develop it, helping to, or helping to, you know, pull it out of the artists um, and then taking it all the way and getting it out there. Really yeah, cool. Yeah, so humans were here is, is what the label's called. Ha has that been like a learning experience, you know, being on the other side now, kind of being on the more of the business end, uh, you know, oh, yeah. you're, usually, you're used to be the artist, you know, talking to the label. Now you're the label talking to the artists. Tell us a little bit. Yeah, about that. I mean, Honestly, it's, it's kind of, I'm really glad that I, cause I, I think I, I, I treat the business more of an, at more like an artist, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I definitely have um, ultimate respect for, for the, the, the artists on the label and just the whole process, you know, and having gone through it all on my own with plain white tees, you know, I kind of bring a lot of that experience to the table where like, yeah, this probably won't work, but I think this might, or, you know, just kind of, of the plain white tees successes and failures. It's like, I've kind of learned how to navigate things, I think a little bit better. Um, but yeah, it's definitely weird. Like, and especially because the, the, the industry is ever changing and the technology is always yeah. changing. So it's like, you know, back in the day to promote a plain white tees show, I would go to other bands, concerts, pass out flyers, you know, whatever, whatever I had to do to get people to the show. Now it's like, well, okay. I just posted on Instagram. It only got 200 likes. Do I post again? Do I post to the store? You know, it's like a totally weird thing. And then of course, now you've got TikTok where you can kind of figure out kind of fun and creative ways to promote things and, and just get the word out there. So it's like, it never stops, you know, just when you think you've got it figured out, nope, something new comes or something happens. 
Um, so yeah, it's definitely a lot weirder and harder for me since I am so much more of like an artist mind to, to kind of, you know, put, get my head around, uh, a lot of the business stuff, but luckily I've got a, a few friends, um, you know, as, as the team with me doing the label. And, um, I think we've got a, a lot of good strengths between us that we can kind of cover everything, everything necessary. So it's, it's pretty cool. Got a good team going. Very cool. Yeah. So I'm just going to remind everybody, you know, you recently released all that we needed, uh, the deluxe edition for uh, plain white tees. Um, and then, you know, uh, before that you, you released your guys' newest album, parallel universe. I know you said you're, you're writing some new plain white tees stuff. So excited uh, to check that stuff out whenever it's ready. And then TLB, you released uh, blood and sand, the, the whole album in October of last year, like you said, and yeah. million Which miles. Is, by the way, out on vinyl right now, we need to sell, we ordered a bunch of vinyl. We got to sell them. So okay. If you guys like, if anybody listening likes the TLB record, please pick it up on vinyl. There you go. Some vinyl for TLB and Million Miler uh, released its single in December. So, and then you're running a, you're, you're running a label. What's, what's your secret, Tom? How, how do you have so much energy to do all this stuff? Um, well, it's called obsession. That's what it is. <laughs> I just, uh -huh. like I said, I can't get enough music. It's like, you know, all I think about. So it's just fun to have all of these different avenues and yeah, just, just, it's funny because when you say you're going to do something, then you just kind of have to do it. You know, if I like, if I sign an artist, I can't just like chill. I've got to be like, okay, well let's work. Let's write some songs. Let's produce this. Let's put this out, you know? So yeah. I think just by, you know, a lot of times motivation can be achieved just from like giving yourself a deadline or, you know, just, just yeah. making it, you know, when you put stuff down on, on paper, a lot of times it'll just, well, shit, I got to do that now. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I just find the time and just make stuff happen. And, you know, again, it's really weird with the pandemic and, and, you know, we're not working as much as I normally do, but that also kind of gives me time to just chill, relax and, you know, catch up on some movies and sit on this couch and, and write <laughs> some songs on my own acoustic stuff, like for playing my tees and, you know, so it's just kind of a matter of figuring it out and everybody's got their own pace. But yeah, I feel like I'm like, I don't know, I'm, I'm burning at both ends, as they say, right? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully not too good. much, but yeah. <laughs> no, I feel I feel really good and really inspired right now. So that's why when it when inspiration is is on, you kind of got to run with it, too, you know? Yeah. And I got to hey, say, Tom, go, ahead. You, go ahead. You brought up uh, you brought up movies. Now. I, uh, I'm a big movie guy and my wife nice. and I are always looking for like the next series that's out or the next movie. Like what have you watched recently that, that, that I need to check out? I need something good, you know? Okay. So recently I've been, because of this, you know, million miler, cause I'm, I'm actually gearing up to announce that album pretty soon coming out. Um, and so I've been catching up on some of my eighties movies so I've been on like Amazon Prime and Netflix and I've watched some, like I just watched Dead Poet Society the other day. Great movie. Do you guys, uh -huh. do you know, okay. Yeah. Do you know yeah, it? Or, no. Oh yeah. Robin Great. Williams. Yeah. Great movie. Okay. So yeah. So I had never seen that one, you know, so I watched that for the first time like three days ago. And oh, so good. Holy shit. So good. Um, I watched uh, Peggy Sue Got Married the other day. I don't know if you guys know that one. I don't know. Uh, Kathleen Turner and Nicolas Cage in like ah. some of their first roles in the 80s. Uh, really good. 
Um, so yeah, I guess that's a bad question right now because I've literally <laughs> just been like kind of, kind of going back. I watched this movie band of outsiders, which was an Italian film from like the 1960s. Mm. Um, I don't know. I've been, because there hasn't really been any major releases like modern releases coming out. I've just kind of have been having to go back in time a little bit, you know? Yeah. Well, that, that's an answer. That's digging through the, the old crates, the VHSs, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Tom, it's, I got to say you, you're doing amazing work. You continue to do amazing work. And I, I got to say you're, I feel like you guys are on it more than a lot of your contemporaries. Like you continue to be on it. You know what I mean? I, uh, since playing our show, we, with, with you guys, I, now I always get uh, bands in town notifications from you guys. Oh, nice. I'm just, I'm, you guys are doing things like I'm getting, you know, spammed from plain white tees like every week about something new that you guys are doing. So, so it's <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, Truly, uh, truly an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. We'd like to end the interview by asking if you had one piece of advice for aspiring artists, what would it be? Ooh, um, I mean, honestly, don't give up, like, and just like, just do it, you know, like we were just talking about, you know, that was a great like, you're, you're asking me how I find the time or how do I do all this stuff? It's like, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I just do it, you know? And I think a lot of times that's what people, you know, people can really wait around for the perfect moment or wait around to get discovered or wait around. And it's like, no, you just have to like go, like get out the door and start running. And it doesn't matter where you get to or where, how far or how long it takes you. It's like, you just have to go and start doing shit. And, uh, you know, you kind of find your way like along the way as, as you go, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's what I would say is just start just doing as much as you can. And again, yeah, like don't, don't get discouraged. Uh, one of our first managers told us that, uh, you know, all you guys have to do is just don't, don't quit. Don't give up. He's like, it might take one record. It might take five records, but like, you're going to have some success. Just don't quit. It's, it's a great point because I was noticing with you guys, uh, I mean, I know you had some, you were already building it up, um, but, you know, you started in 97, but then, you know, your your household name hit Delilah hit in 2005. So that's like eight years you guys were grinding and then all of a sudden you exploded. Uh, so I think it's a really good lesson. And I've heard that time and time again from artists. It's like we weren't an overnight success. Something might have happened that made us an overnight success, but it was after eight years of working towards that piece that, totally. that did that. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that. Like, I feel like a lot of people, when they hear a band or hear a song, like, oh, this, who's this new artist? But they've been around forever, you know, and people don't oh, yeah. realize how much work. And my, my uh, actually, my, my uh, parents are friends with uh, one of the guys from Incubus is like his parents or something. Anyway, uh, when she was telling her that, you know, I was an artist, they uh, told her like, hey, listen, you know, these guys were doing it for over 10 years before they even got like anything, you know, you just got to like oh, yeah. keep doing it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. One of the coolest quotes, um, I was doing a podcast. Uh, I, I did like eight episodes of a podcast called I F and love that song. Just another thing that I figured I had to do during the pandemic you know, uh -huh. start a podcast. Yeah. Um, but I, I interviewed uh, Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls, one of the one nice. of my favorite, favorite yeah. writers. And um, one of the things he said in passing, and I was like, it really hit me. Um, the harder I work, the luckier I get. 
And I think that's exactly Great. it. It's like, there's, I mean, luck is a big thing, but putting yourself out there and getting into those opportunities and those places and in, on people's mind, you know, that's where, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't happen by accident. You know, you really do have to put in the work and, um, yeah, once you, the harder you work, the luckier you get. That's, that's yeah. honest truth. Yeah. That's so true. Or I think I've heard a couple variants of that. You know, I make my own luck is one or, uh, or, you know, success is when preparation meets opportunity. Those, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, so, so sure. true. And that's cool. You got to talk to him. Cause yeah, he is a great songwriter. I heard before he wrote, um, was their huge hit? What's it called? Um, uh, Iris is their biggest one. Iris, right. I, I heard, I remember watching the behind the music with him and he said he was on like a, for he he was on a writer's block for just years or something oh, really? like that, huh? like a terrible writer's block. And then he said that song just came to him one day and, huh. and there you go again, you know, just after years of, uh, of, of struggling, you write the biggest hit of your life. Right. By not giving up. <laughs> 